welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy came home every day from there. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jerry Springer. No, he's not. No, he's no, not. I there mean, he is. He is. <laughs> no, I'll tell you what happened. Never mind. It's just yeah. Gene and I. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait. What? what? Can you see me? Yeah, we can see yeah, it. We do. Yes. And, okay. And we can hear you. No, you know what happens? Because I do this on my iPhone. Yeah. And when somebody calls me, it just cuts in. Oh. <laughs> Who calls, yeah, who calls you? you? Put them on. Yeah, yeah that is surprising, isn't it? <laughs> hey, Jerry, take the call. I don't know. It says IRS. Ah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, uh, don't answer yeah. that. Yeah. Hey, uh, we've got, uh, in a moment, uh, Jerry's going to do his thought of the week. That's really kind of the heart of the podcast, by the way. So uh, we always look forward to that. We have back for a second week. We had him on last week. Eric Bolander, and he's from uh, Lexington, Kentucky, grew up in Garrison, Kentucky, and a really cool singer, songwriter, uh, and he's going to be doing a song for us, so uh, be sure to stick around for that, and I wanted to ask uh, David something, Jerry, this relates to you, I saw something and I passed it over to David, it's in video form, came from Channel 5, where you were as you know, news anchor <laughs> for uh, years and took them from third place to first place. And David, were you able to pull any of that? Uh, well, audio for sure. What? But if you, well, here's what it is. Well, first of all, David, do you have it by any chance? Yeah. Okay, good. Jerry, here's what we got. What? So tell <laughs> us the year. Oh, just listen to this. Go, David. Well, I think it's really peaceful. I think, you know, a lot of people are, we're going to have over 50,000 people and they're going to enjoy a good concert. And, you know, it's just so peaceful. It's, it's almost silly all the, you know, all the troops we have around. But, uh, you know, it's better to be safe. And right now it looks real good. I think if there are no major problems with this one, I, I assume we're going to have more in the future. It's a tremendous revenue producer. You know, the city is taking in today well over $100,000. That's the most money we've ever taken in in one day in our history. So. Um, yes, I think we will have more. I'd like to meet the guy who's responsible for putting this concert on. It's the mayor of Cincinnati. How do you do? Hi. Nice to meet you. Where are you from? Greenville. Greenville, hi. Yeah, just up the road. Uh-huh. Uh, when did you get in? About the time we get here. About 9.30, something like that. About 12 more hours, huh? Have you yes. seen Eagles before? No, I haven't. Well, enjoy the concert. I will. Hi, you're Mr. Jerry Springer. Are you really? Yeah, I'm married. Where are you from? Staten. Staten. When did you get in? <laughs> About an hour ago. You going back late tonight? If we'll make it. Make it okay. Hey, thank you, David. Hey, by the way, uh, <laughs> Jerry, Jerry, now, Jerry. Yeah. Oh. Here, here's uh, Jerry. Hold on a second, Jerry. For people who were 
most people listen to this and don't watch it. We do have a Facebook live audience and they were able to see that. And by the way, if you want to see that clip, you can go to our website. We, I had put up there, I hope, I hope channel five doesn't come after us uh, because I just yeah. put it up there. <laughs> but anyway, it's their own Jerry Springer who is in that and we're doing it to promote channel five in Cincinnati. And what that is, is a package that was done by Channel 5 before Jerry became a news anchor there, first a reporter, a commentator, and then an anchor. And it's when he was mayor of the city. And he sounds like he's about 16, <laughs> 17 years old. Yeah. I like, and, and our, our listeners can't see it, but the short sleeves on top of short sleeves <laughs> was also good. a yeah. baller. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, Jerry. That's so I wouldn't get cold. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, how old were you, Jerry, when you were mayor of Cincinnati? Uh, 32. All right, and what year was that? Wow. Uh, 1978. It was August. I actually remember the date clearly. Tell us about it. It was August 6th. Yeah, it was August 16th of uh, 1978. And when I ran, when I was running for, uh, for mayor in that council race, um, one of my platforms was that we should bring rock and roll to Cincinnati because Cincinnati at that time was a very conservative city. Yeah. You know, rock and roll was out of the question, yeah. all these hippies, drug smokers, just everything bad. Yeah. And, uh, but we had Riverfront Stadium, which the city, well, you know, the city paid taxes for, for yeah. that stadium. But, and it was the home of the Reds and the Bengals. But that meant that uh, there were only, uh, 92 days a year that the stadium was in use for 82 home games for the Reds and for uh, eight home games for the, uh, uh, or 90, yeah, eight home games for the Bengals. So other than those 90 days, this huge structure was sitting there not making a penny. So I thought in the summer, let's have our first ever outdoor rock concert, an all day concert, all night concert. And, uh, so I got in touch and, you know, I, I really liked Linda Ronstadt at the time. She was like the queen of uh, rock and roll. So I contacted her through an agent and invited her to host the first ever Cincinnati outdoor rock concert. And she was so nice, but she said the dates don't work, but she's good friends with the Eagles. Would they do? Yeah. So and and and. <laughs> So we got wow. we got the Eagles, Eddie Money, and the Steve Miller Band. Oh man! It was an all day. It, the concert started at two in the afternoon and went till eleven at night. We had fifty six thousand people at the concert. Now here's the thing: there was no liquor allowed, but this is August in Cincinnati. If and if they had astroturf, it would be burning hot on the field. So we set up totally innocently uh, showers all around the field. So when you got hot, you just walked under the shower. It became the world's largest wet T-shirt. <laughs> and thus the Jerry Springer yes. we know I, was born. I swear on a Bible, on the Torah, on whatever you use as sacred, uh, I had no I, I never thought that that would be an issue. <laughs> I just thought this was a good thing to keep everybody cool. 
<laughs> the fact is, everyone loved it. We had no arrests, no fights, you know, no. Because you didn't have booze there. Yeah, well, we, yeah. that's we, awesome. We weren't allowed to have booze. Uh, yeah. So that was the deal. And then at the very end, which was great, is the uh, Eagles invited me on stage, uh, you know, just to say thanks, blah, blah. And I got to sing Lying Eyes with the with the Eagles. Oh, my God. That's so cool. And you cool. had all these kids holding their uh, lighters. Remember back then, you, you used to hold a lighter and wave it uh, yeah. the song on a beautiful night. August 16th, 1978. Yeah, 78. That was, it was great fun. It was great that's fun. Really that was cool. cool. You just look like such a baby. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that true, Megan? That's why I thought we got to play that. I mean, it sounds. I don't think I shaved yet. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, my voice. Of course was, it didn't. It was 12 octaves high. And I love how the it's... kids that from different cities that came to the concert, yeah. they didn't know I was mayor. Remember that one on the tape that said, no, really, you're the mayor. Yeah, yeah, they didn't even they didn't believe you were the they mayor. They thought I'm just trying to pick them up. And it's like you were so innocent and cute, Jerry. Really, what happened? He really is the mayor. Hey. Oh. Uh, I thought I thought of uh something else. Uh I was thinking back to when uh Jerry and you, Megan, myself, and uh, Casey Campbell went to Cuba. And we've mentioned yeah. this before on the podcast, but the reason we went to Cuba was to go hear and meet and talk to, hear the music from folk singers, modern folk singers and songwriters in Cuba today. So this was, I don't know, three or four years ago we did this. And we, in fact, did that. We got some help from the Center for Cuban Studies out of New York City, and they put together a plan for us, and they delivered, man. We sat, you remember that? We sat at oh, our yeah. homes. Singer songwriters and they played their music. And Casey Campbell, we took, he's our music coordinator for the show, and he's a singer songwriter himself. He took his guitar and then he performed for them. One memorable night, we went into this little club and they were doing their oh, music. Yeah. And Casey, because we had had dinner with a prominent Cuban folk singer, went up on stage and said in Spanish, I want to bring my friend Casey Campbell up here. He went up and sang a song and, and closed with Down by the Riverside, the song that we close our yep. podcast with. And these, yeah. you remember this? And, and several uh, Cuban folk singers who were there jumped up and sang background for with that. They, like, they knew that yeah. song. Yeah. It was an anti-war song. And it was an amazing night. But anyway, on that trip, you guys remember? Oh, we I know where you're going. <laughs> no, 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 uh, no, okay. not. <laughs> we... No one knew Jerry. No one knew. <laughs> we, we went to the home of oh, yeah. uh, Ernest Hemingway, and that made yeah. me think as yeah. I watch Ken Burns. We're all Jerry, Megan, and I. We're all fans of PBS. Huge fans of PBS. And don't we, we urge everybody, donate to PBS. Yep. Every time they do a fundraiser, Absolutely. send them some dough so they can keep going. So they do this thing with Ken Burns. It's amazing. He's an amazing storyteller. Love Ken yeah. Burns. Yep. So he's he done millions. documentaries of baseball, Civil War, National Parks, just amazing stuff. And he did this three episode, two hours each, six hours, about Ernest Hemingway. And I am an English major and I studied English at 
university in the 1960s, uh, you know, through the 60s. And Ernest Hemingway was like, you know, one of, not certainly not the only, uh, Shakespeare was in there too, but Hemingway was a prominent writer that we studied. So uh, I know, Jerry, you saw some of it. Megan, you were telling us before the show, you binge watched it. It is a damn good show that, that shows the complexity of Ernest Hemingway. And it ain't all good. Oh, it ain't all good. I mean, he was, oh, no. yeah. he was a real asshole a lot of times and was. Well, he started getting concussions at like, what, 12? Yeah. He was like concussed his entire yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. And, and, it, and, it's a, and in it, they prominently show in the Ken Burns Hemingway the time he spent in Cuba. And this was before the revolution, because when the re- revolution came, and this is the point I want to make about Cuba, guys, when we were there, we went to his home and Pilar, the boat, was dry docked in the back. The swimming pool was there sitting empty. I also have been to his home and toured it in Key West. And I don't know if you guys have as well, yeah. but there are two homes yep. that you can go to that are literally museums. But Cuba basically confiscated the house at the time of the revolution. Then they honored him. They protected it from the moment they got it until today if you go down there yeah it's a tourist trap you go there and i I think you pay some money and you get to go and walk around they have all the doors and windows open and you look and you see the typewriter where where he uh yeah where he worked and and wrote his novels and the scale where he was writing on the wall when he was losing weight for his girlfriend or whatever yeah (laughs) yeah and all of that is uh in that that documentary but uh Wow. What, what, what a interesting guy he was. Uh, and Jerry, you're reading, you told us you're reading. Yeah, I have book. this book, which I, which I recommend. It's Ernest Hemingway's Selected Letters from 1917 to 1961, uh, edited by Carlos Baker. It has all the letters that, or most of the letters that he wrote during that time. I mean, it's like a thousand pages. He wrote a letter every day of his life. I mean, once, you know, he became yeah. uh, at least a teenager. It, it, that doesn't exist anymore today. We yeah. don't write letters anymore. He wrote letters to everybody about everything that he was doing. And he was so, he revealed so much of himself. So much of what he wrote is in his letters is autobiographical and it seeped into his novels. So those much wiser than I and, and Gene, like, uh, um, you know, uh, English majors as yourself, prob- the one question that they often ask about Hemingway is how much of what he wrote, his characters, and whether it's The Sun Also Rises or Farewell to Arms, how much was his own experience, people he actually know knew, or how much was he just making up? And, uh, he says that was in his letters that that was a great, he really enjoyed people not knowing that. He said in some of his greatest novels, he totally made it up. Sun Also Rises, 95%, he says here, uh, 95% of Sun Also Rises was pure imagination. You know, and people are trying to look at his characters and say, oh, that was that, you know, but then in his other, other novels, it was his life. It's just, People don't do that today. And I wonder if 50 or 100 years from now, what are we going to look up on people? You know, the emails they wrote, 
who's saving them? How do, how do you how will we do research on on, on, on these people anymore? Are you concerned about your legacy, Terry? Is that where this is going? Yeah. Hey. I'll, I'll tell you, <laughs> you know that my letters are in the bottom drawer on the <laughs> right. <laughs> you know that Hemingway, uh, and, and look, he speaks for himself when he says that it was uh, made up. And of course it was. Every story he wrote, though, was placed in locations that he knew well from either his work, his travels, his pleasures, whether it's the old exactly. man in the sea, which was yep. done in the uh, you know ocean off the Malacan, the, the seawall in Havana, whether it was the sun also rises, which has major scene in Pamplona, Spain, where he had been, he fought in the he he fought in the Spanish Civil War. He served as a journalist all over Europe and, and well, in World War II. He uh, spent a lot of time in Africa for the story, The Sons of Kilimanjaro. Uh, he was, you know, and, and my mother told me once when I said I wanted to be writer, a writer, and she said, she gave me advice that was not good advice, love my mother and all. But she said, <laughs> to become a good writer, you have to read and read a lot. Well, that is true, by the way. But Hemingway would say, to be a good writer, you have to live. And he was just, yeah. he really lived to a fault. Yeah. And by the way, he created, he didn't intend to, but when you study Hemingway literature, we all talk about the Hemingway hero. Our professors taught us about the Hemingway hero. He created a Hemingway hero without intending to do so. And it was a man who had certain characteristics. And by the way, when you look at the Hemingway hero through the lens of 2000 or through 2021, he's not a good dude. He's kind of a jerk. And it, he's pretty much what Hemingway was, uh, often very nasty to women, uh, a man yeah. of short Talk temper, a big drinker, a hard liver, you know, lived very hard and, and yeah. played hard and worked hard. And when you watch that Ken Burns show, when he goes on a dare from his girlfriend uh, who belittled him because he wouldn't go over and cover the wars of what, a 41-year-old man, and he finally goes. And then what's he do? He takes up arms, confiscates a Jeep, and goes out and fights yep. in the damn war. And when they were liberating yeah. cities, they'd say, no, don't liberate this town. Hemingway's coming. He's going to liberate this town. I mean, he was really... Yeah a unique guy who, and all great people yeah. are textured and complicated. And that's what the Ken Burns story is all about. It's amazing. Yeah. It's, it, yeah, it's it so worth, and, and thanks for that bit of uh, education, at least for me, but uh, it's worth watching the, uh, it's, it's worth watching that whole series. Yeah. It's excellent. Yeah. And, and yeah, Megan. Yeah. As I just remember just walking through there and you just get that sense like his 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 presence is there in the same way in uh Key West. Yeah. Like it's it's this machismo, yeah, it's just this yeah. like it's 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 really and it's beautiful and there's something really like I don't know reminiscent of, of that, but in real life you just want to punch that guy True. in the face. Yeah. Like, <laughs> hey, hey, hey Megan, in both of those homes, in both and Ken Burns covers this. In the home in Key West and the home in Havana or outside Havana, he would, his pattern was he would get up in the morning 
well before the sun would come up and write his ass off. And then he would go into town. He had a bar in Havana and he had uh, Sloppy Joe's in Key West. And, he, and I've been to the one in Key West and, you know, it's, they open up the windows out to the sidewalk and you yeah. sit on a stool out on the sidewalk. And he would go down there and just get drunk every day. And, you know, he just get yep. drunk until he was drunk and then he'd go back home and get up the next morning and start over. And both of those homes had that same pattern. But he made a lot of money in the context of that era. And he had nice stuff in yeah. those two homes. You could see it. Beautiful. Yeah. Very minimalistic, but very like everything that he had in it was, yeah, it was, it was really cool. Very, very cool experience. Anyway, we recommend that. Hey, Jerry, um, yeah. Tell us uh, what caught your interest this week. Uh, Okay. A little bit of a different issue. Uh, Now that the Dems have control of the Congress by a slight margin and the Senate by an even slighter margin, as well as control of the White House, it's understandable that they would be tempted to revisit the issue of turning Washington, D.C. into our 51st state. Uh, The argument for such a move is pretty obvious based on grounds of fairness. There are over 700,000 eligible voters living in our nation's capital, yet they have no congressmen and no senators. They must, of course, pay federal taxes, yet with no voting representation in our Congress or Senate, This may be the ultimate example of taxation without representation. And if memory serves, the last time this was an issue, we had an American revolution. Yes, DC residents can vote for president. DC has three electoral votes, thanks to congressional legislation, which gives DC a number of electoral votes equal to the smallest state. Therefore, they get three. But as I said, no senators, no congressmen, no voice in any federal legislation or policy or Supreme Court appointments. You get the idea. No vote there at all. Even Americans who live abroad are entitled to vote for Congress and Senate in the state they last resided in, but not DC residents. So clearly under any concept of fairness, DC residents should be able to become a state. Now, since the constitution mandates that there in fact be a federal district to house the Congress, the Senate, executive and Supreme Court, any legislation creating this 51st state would have to redraw the boundaries so that a two mile plot encompassing those buildings would remain the District of Columbia and the rest of the land where three quarters of a million people actually live, that would be a new state with a new name. So the argument for getting this done seems pretty clear, but let's be honest, this entire issue drips with political motivations. The district is overwhelmingly democratic and minority. If it becomes a state, the Dems will pick up two more Senate seats as certain as Idaho votes Republican. Suddenly for the Dems, the Senate seems a little more secure, which has real ramifications for healthcare, Supreme Court appointments, protection against voter suppression, etc., which as great as that sounds, is exactly why the Republicans will fight this tooth and nail. This will be a partisan fight. But Dems should push this while they have the edge and not be shy about it. Politics has often been at the heart 
of admitting new states into our union. Back before the Civil War, when slavery was the overriding concern, we had the Missouri Compromise of 1820. When Missouri was admitted as a slave state, only upon the condition that Maine would be admitted as a free state, keeping the Congress equally um, balanced. In 1850, the Clay Compromise, where California was admitted as a free state, only upon the political deal that a Fugitive Slave Act would be passed for the benefit of Southern states and their plantation owners, that runaway slaves escaping to the North, if caught, would have to be returned to their owners, politics at its worst. But more recently, the admission of Alaska and Hawaii in 1959 was politics as well. Back then, the Dems wanted Alaska and the Republicans wanted Hawaii. So neither would get in without the other, politics. But this time with DC, with DC in question, Fairness doesn't require a political deal. The Senate is already slanted in Republican favor with rural Republican states each having two senators even though hardly anyone lives there. Montana, Utah, Idaho, North Dakota, South Dakota and on and on. Over 50% of the Senate represents less than 20% of Americans. And the states where 80% of Americans do live, they get less than 50% of the Senate. Wyoming, a state where less than a million people live, get two senators. California, where 30 million people live, get only two senators. How is that fair? And how is it unjust to correct that structural inequity by giving DC residents their senators and congressmen? Sure, it's politics but it's politics to level the playing field. It's politics driven by equity. While the Dems have the vote, no matter how slim the margin, they ought to get it done. Imagine a Senate that actually represents all the American people. How revolutionary. Jerry Springer, that's excellent, my old friend. That is a, they're all good, but damn, I'm glad you do these. And by the way, Alaska, when you started off and you referenced 700,000 people live in the District of Columbia, in Alaska, there are about 695,000 people, a size three times the size, a state three times the size of Texas. And there are about 600 plus thousand people. They have one congressperson and two senators. It is exactly your point. And yeah. man, that you're you're dead right. I hope we do it. Yeah, I hope I hope they do it. You know, they get because they have such a slight margin uh, uh, towards a majority. They're very nervous about doing anything. But once, yeah, once a while, uh, excuse me, once DC becomes a state, you can't take it back. Right. So they don't have to worry. Oh, the Republicans will, you know they'll probably look for some other territory, but even Puerto Rico. Yeah, I don't think they can guarantee that Puerto Rico will go Republican. And after the way the, uh, Trump treated them, right. you know, when the hurricane hit, uh, 
I think the Dems should do it. Right. It's the right thing to do, period. It's the right thing to do. They don't even have to think politics. And, Just and one, do it. One it's fair. thing I love about how you do what you do, and as I mentioned before, it's the heart of our podcast is the center piece that you just did, is your, you know history so well. And I sit here and wonder, I wonder if he do look that up or does he just remember, you know, the, all of these elements you just referenced from American history. But you are absolutely right when they charge that this is political. Well, hell yes, but all those other uh, you know, the yeah. sort of compromise, all that stuff was always political, the yeah. slave act and all these deals that were made in creation, creating states. It's all political. There's nothing new to that. That's yeah. not an argument against it. That's just whining. That that part I remember from uh, high school, Mr. Lieberman would be very happy that Mr. I remember <laughs> that. Excellent. <laughs> He said, Gerald, pay attention. Pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Megan. Her mic is gone. My God, Megan. Oh. Megan, Megan, <laughs> Megan, Megan. We can't hear you. Oh, man. Oh. oh, she knows. She knows. Okay, hold up. <laughs> draw, draw signs <laughs> and hold them up, man. Yeah. <laughs> You you move your lips. I'll talk. <laughs> well, coming Blink up twice is, if you're okay. He's a fellow we've heard before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's from Kentucky, <laughs> and he's one great songwriter and singer. <laughs> that is great. Eric, we're so happy to have you. <laughs> well, thank you. I need I need to take you on the road with me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, God bless Megan. We had a little issue on one of the podcast uh, a couple weeks ago and oh. I got a tech issue but well uh, well when's your birthday we're gonna buy you a computer <laughs> we're, we'll carry things forward for her. uh <laughs> Megan stay hang with us keep talking if we get here you will bring you back on uh anyway to uh and I'll fill in for her real fast but Eric first of all Eric Bolander how you doing Eric thank you for coming back this, Thanks again. This guy is excellent, and I'll give you a quick intro. He's Please, from uh, Garrison, Kentucky, originally near Vanceburg. Uh, Lexington, Kentucky, Lexington, Kentucky is where he lives now, and uh, works out of there. And uh, Eric, for people who may have heard you last week, but maybe not, people kind of pick through our archive. Tell us a little bit about the style of music you do, and a little bit of background about how you got into. Um, you know, it's definitely based in roots music. Um, yeah. I, I always refer to us as Americana folk because okay. I'm not sure where to place this. Um, we have some songs that play on country radio. We have some songs that are more uh, lean toward the rock and roll side of Americana. Um, so uh, I just kind of stick with that. You know, it's definitely I write lyrically about a lot of life experiences or, or through my lens looking at something else. Yep. And um, you are a uh, guitar my, player, right? Yes, I play guitar um, poorly, but so does Jerry, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we had a form. That's very, that's very poor. <laughs> no, no, no. We, <laughs> we should form a folk trio, Eric. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Jerry Springer. Uh, oh, man. And you, you can did. We, can we call it Jerry Swinger? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go, Jerry Swinger. <laughs> Jerry Swinger trio. Um, yeah. <laughs> what, what are you going to do for us tonight? One of my first uh, 
semi-protest songs, to be honest. Nice. Um, hmm. I don't really use my platform politically, but I do. I will use it for a voice for issues I, f- I find uh, uh, a strong connection to. And uh, the Black Jewel Mining Company was uh, based out of uh, Appalachia, and this particular location was in um, Harlan County, Kentucky. Yeah. And they uh, filed for bankruptcy, and they owed about three months back pay to their workers. Um, and they had to seek uh, representation and, and go to court with these people. And they're still dealing with the issue. Um, and this was back in 2019. And I was asked to play a fundraiser for them, <clears throat> excuse me, in uh, Pondville, Kentucky. And I just felt moved to write a song about it. As I grew up, <clears throat> excuse me, I grew up um, – <clears throat> with a dad that worked construction. He was a union carpenter and uh, he had three kids and, and my mom. And and I just thought to myself, we didn't have a whole lot of money, especially when I was a little kid. What would that be like if if he had lost the work and had all this back pay and didn't have money to pay for food and rent or mortgage and all that? So I placed myself in that position when I wrote it and it's a song called Cold Men. Great backstory. Cold, uh, Great. Here we go, Eric Molander. Don't care. Cold 
don't care. Hot damn, wow. man. That's a great oh. song. <laughs> that was great. Thank you. Yeah, I don't oh, think you're working yet. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I, I hit the red button and it yeah. worked. Um, <laughs> 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 no, man, that was beautiful. I love the hat and that too. Can, can hey, Jerry. Oh, yeah. Thank <laughs> you. Yes. Uh, we got J Jerry and I, uh, Jerry, I'm sort of along with him on this, uh, working with. A foundation called Music to Life, and it's run by Noel Paul Stuckey. So he's one of the yeah. three people. He's Paul, Peter, Paul, and Mary, Eric. And his foundation, Music to Life, seeks singer songwriters of all genres. Oh, this was perfect. Oh, perfect. And they, what they do, yeah, Eric, yeah. is they seek singer songwriters who are willing to spend a little bit of their right. creative time to uh, address causes. And I got to tell you, Eric. Give back. That's a hell of a good song. That oh, is man. a hell of a good song. That's very well written. And the <laughs> title, you. Cold Thank Men, you. they don't care. That's a damn good song. And Jerry, I think we're, we're right. on a conference call Thank with you. them, I guess, next week. On we need Thursday. to tell them yeah. on Thursday. Yeah. And we need to yeah. tell them about, about you. Yeah. Him. Yep. Heck yeah. yeah. And by the way, what's it mean? Lay them all on I'd the whispers. That. I appreciate that. Is that, that what that line is? Lay them all on the whispers. Tell us about it. Well, you know, like people that are, can, you know how people, just like people that are rich and in control, you know, talking behind closed doors, you know, whispering to each other, you know, it's like, you know, take this okay. and lay it on their, okay. their whispers, like lay it on, you know, stuff that they care about. You, you know, what if it was their yeah, kids? Yeah, sometimes, yeah, but you know, sometimes I Thankfully for most of us, you're not making the major decisions. You're just thinking about the major decisions. <laughs> right, right. He's just the eye candy. He's the eye candy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No one in him. his life has ever called him that, Eric. Uh, <laughs> well, right. Eric, tell, make That's sure exactly you tell us right. again where we can find your music. Yeah learn more about you yeah so uh eric .com. uh eric bolander.com is my website it's got all the links to the socials and of course i'm on all the streaming spotify uh, apple music anywhere else youtube and that kind of stuff and the videos that you you've played uh the show and last week's show are both on youtube as well and don't forget you can check those out on our website too so you can always check out the jerry springer podcast website on on our facebook friend us on there and uh, i guess we're going to listen to uh jerry and uh casey campbell take us out on down by the riverside i'm gonna lay down
School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Thanks to Patrick Kennedy for writing our opening song, and to you for listening. Check out our website at jerryspringer.com.